wanted to take just a moment to introduce who's uh, sharing grace along the journey today. I um, was having lunch with uh, Richard Stevens recently. We were talking about George Jones uh, behind his back. And we were talking about, honestly, what a, what a kind person he is. He's a very humble person, too. I did not know, I think until that conversation, you have a graduate degree from MIT. Is that correct? Come on, George. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I never would have known that, and I've known George for a while, and he's very humble and unassuming. But what I'm really excited about today is, is how he will be using his kindness for a brand new ministry uh, that uh, he and David Baines and Richard and others are already engaging in. Uh, somewhat at the uh, inspiration of, of Ralph Garth, believe it or not. Ralph always has things going on. And Ralph, thank you for staying with us. I know your service begins at 1130, and you said they'll just keep singing until you get there, right? <laughs> it's true. But he wanted to be here to show his support, which is so cool. And, uh, uh, but it's a brand new program. I'll let George talk about it called jo- uh, Jobs for Life. But just wanted to give you a heads up. This is another marvelous means of our showing our ministry of kindness as Brookwood to people who need a leg up. So, George, come on up and thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, this is a little more than just a jobs for life when I was asked to do this. Uh, It just happened to fall uh, on the Sunday before we start our first class uh, this Tuesday night. Uh, It wasn't too long ago. You would not have seen me up here doing a grace along the journey, uh, particularly as part of a a, a kindness theme. I'll first give you a bit, and it's just a bit of ancient history. I made a profession of faith at age 12 and was baptized. As it turned out, this was a conversion of the heart and not the mind, because in junior high I started having doubts about my faith, and these doubts increased dramatically in high school and then in college and for sure in graduate school. The uh, reason, I think, was mainly because as I increased my knowledge of science and the natural world, I struggled more and more about my faith. My last year at Auburn, I met Janie, and uh, one thing that attracted me to Janie was her strong Christian faith. Uh, She regularly did things like visiting uh, total strangers in nursing homes. Uh, I can tell you that would have been the last place you would have found me, was visiting strangers in a nursing home. Also, uh, for her senior trip in high school, instead of opting for the beach trip, Janie went with the Presbyterian youth group into poverty areas of Appalachia and Harlem. And again, again, given that choice, where do you think you would have found me? Kick back under a breach umbrella, I can guarantee you that. Anyway, I uh, felt like in Janie I had found a treasure in a field, and so I bought the field. I proposed to her, and surprisingly she said yes, and as they say, the rest is history. Now let me fast forward to about six years ago. Brookwood had an uh, emphasis series on community, and it consisted of quite a few sermons and discussions in Sunday school. And one of the things we did was read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And one of the passages from that book that spoke to my heart was the following. The exclusion of the weak and insignificant 
the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. As a result of that emphasis on community, a number of members of Brookwood, including myself, volunteered with Empower to tutor reading. So I was assigned my student. Uh, I will not give his actual name. I will call him Joshua. Joshua was 22 years old and was reading well below uh, first grade level. He had uh, finished high school, but he didn't graduate. He got a certificate of, of attendance, which means he had gone through 12 years of primary and secondary education without the ability to read. If you can just imagine that, going to school, sitting in class for 12 years and not knowing how to read. Joshua had a very gentle nature, and I quickly had a high level of interest in him, not only in teaching him how to read, but also in his general well-being. Our first couple of classes went well, and then it was the third class, uh, I went down to the appointed place, which happened to be the Empower Building, and uh, Joseph did not, Joshua did not show, there I blew that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> After knowing him for uh, six years, I just knew that was going to happen. <laughs> but he did not show up for the third session. So I gave him a call, and uh, he assured me that he would show up the next week. Well, the next week, I again left the office and drove 30 minutes down to the Empire Building. And after standing out front for about 15 minutes, I realized that he was again going to be a no-show. Well, my initial thoughts were along the lines, you know, here I am taking work time out of my busy schedule, coming down here, trying to help Joseph. I'm going to call him Joseph from now on. <laughs> this is easier. Trying to help Joseph make what could be one of the most significant changes in his life by teaching him how to read, and he can't even show up. And then my thoughts were along the lines of, well, maybe God had been waiting on me for more than 50 years to make the most significant change that I could make in my life. Maybe his truth, power, and strength were available to me as soon as I was willing to accept it. Maybe this mistake I was making was infinitely more critical than the one jo uh, Joseph was making. I do not have time to tell you about the thoughts that went through my mind for the next 20 minutes. All I know is at the end of that 20 minute period, I had no doubts about my faith. Zero. Nada. Instead of returning to the office, I went home to ponder what had just happened to me. Was this a single event? Or was it after 50 years, more than half a century of events and thoughts, it was a tipping point? I didn't know that, which it was, but quite frankly, it didn't matter. I did know that somehow Joseph had been part of it. Joseph became a project for me. I also realized that maybe I had been putting too much emphasis on trying to do what Jesus would do and that I needed to focus more on being where Jesus would be. After all, I found him exactly where you would expect him to be. He was at the front door of the Empower building. So at that point... I realized there were thousands more Josephs out there. So I also started to tutor and teach uh, GED math at Empower. 
Let me briefly tell you about one of our recent students. And I say our because Janie is also uh, teaching GED math with me at Empower. I will call this lady's name uh, Deanna. Uh, Deanna was at Wellhouse in Odenville. Uh, in case you're not familiar with Wellhouse, Wellhouse rescues and provides opportunities for restoration to victims of human trafficking. When Deanna arrived at Wellhouse, she had been in prison for a year and a half. Uh, she had 25 uh, felony charges. And among other things, she had agreed to testify against her handler, go to Wellhouse, and get her GED. Well, she had about, well, she did have two days before she was to finish at Wellhouse and be relocated to another city. And she took the GED. She passed all of the portions of the GED except math. And so Janie and I got a call and asked if we would help out. So the next day, we tutored Deanna uh, in the areas of the GED math exam that she had not passed. And the next day, she took the math portion again, and she passed it. So she has now been relocated to another city. Uh, she has a job. She's taking online uh, courses for her degree, and she plans a career in helping people with history similar to her own. Well, with experiences like this, and they have been very re rewarding and uplifting, when I heard that Ralph was interested in a jobs program for some of uh, the people who have been in his drug re rehabilitation program, I was all in immediately. And so it wasn't very long before Ralph, uh, David Baines, and myself went to Patterson, New Jersey, for Jobs for Life core training. In case you aren't familiar with Jobs for Life, uh, it equips the local church to address the impact of, of unemployment through the dignity of work. It is an eight-week faith-based faith work program. Uh, it has success in helping thousands of underprivileged individuals to prepare themselves to get and keep jobs. Since we got back from the core training, the response has been tremendous. We filled positions in prayer leadership, mentors, facilitators, and companies willing to interview and perhaps hire students. I will say it's not too late to be involved. Uh, we do have our first class this Tuesday night. <clears throat> I wasn't sure how to end this until actually two, two weeks ago on Sunday. Uh, there it was in Blake's sermon, his reference uh, scripture passage. It's Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the word of the Lord. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. 
Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. This is the word of the Lord. man walked into a restaurant in a strange town, was on a business trip, and he was an extrovert but was feeling quite lonely because he didn't know anybody, so the waiter came and said, what can I get you? And he said, meatloaf and a kind word. And so the waiter said, okay, went, brought the plate back, placed it down there with the meatloaf, and the fellow said, okay, well, where's the kind word? And the waiter leaned in and said, don't eat the meatloaf. So, Thank you, I'm here all week. Uh, Henry James is considered one of the greatest novelists uh, of our time, greatest novelists in the English language. He was the brother of William James, uh, who was the father of American psychology. And William had a son that they called Willie, and uh, one day his uncle, who again was Henry James, the great novelist, sat him down because he wanted to tell him something very important. And he said this, Willie, three things in human life are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. The third is to be kind. Scripture tells us the same thing. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Well, we hear this all the time, but what does it take to truly be kind and what kind of a difference can kindness make when you and I show that to other people? Well, let's dive in and look right at Scripture and begin with the outline. First of all, let's talk about the motive of kindness, which you can really sum up in two words, selfless and small. Let's talk about selfless. First of all, the motive of kindness is selfless. Uh, Many of you love and enjoy the message which Eugene Peterson used to paraphrase the New Testament. And I love how he does the love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast. And it's interesting, for love is patient, his paraphrase reads, love never gives up. But notice what he says about kindness. If we put kindness up, love is kind, love cares for others more than for self. That's how it's paraphrased. Instead of love is kind, love cares more for others than for the self. Kindness is going out of your way to benefit another without a thought of what's coming back to you. You know, you can act kind, but not really be kind. It really begins within, doesn't it? It's really a selfless motive. Some of us are studying on Wednesday night the new book by Bob Goff called Everybody Always, and in it he tells a wonderful story about when he was flown down to Orlando, Florida, and was picked up by a limo driver for this place he was going to go speak. He had never been picked up by a limo and he just reveled in it and was, was talking to the limo driver and learned all about this guy's story. And he learned that this limo driver was retiring the very next week. And Bob looked at him and said, hey, have you ever ridden back here in this stretch limo? And the guy said, no, I couldn't do that. I'd get fired. Bob said, get back here. You've got to ride in here before you retire. Well, they both got out of the car. Uh, Bob got in the front, put on the limo driver cap, and drove him the rest of the way to Disney World. And uh, got to know the guy as he drove, and they just had a great time and all. And uh, learned a little more about that fella, and Bob said that he spoke kindly to him. And when they got out of the car, Bob is such an interesting character. He always has these uh, inexpensive little medals that you can buy. He says you can get a 1,000 of them for 
a few bucks. So he said, I want to present some things to you. And he said, uh, he said Bernie, you are courageous because you let me drive. You'll, you're foolhardy because you let me drive. You're also a good man. You're also caring. If, if, uh, if everyone in Orlando is like you, then, then everyone in Orlando is a winner. And he gave him all these medals. And, and uh, this is what he said right after that. He said, when the limo driver went home that night to the woman he's been living with for the past 10 years, do you think he told her he'd met a Christian guy that day who told him he was supposed to be married? Of course not. I bet he told her he met a guy who told him who he was. That's our job. It's always been our job. We're supposed to just love the people in front of us. We're the ones who tell them who they are. We don't, we don't need to spend so much time as we do telling people what we think about what they're doing. Loving people doesn't mean we need to control their conduct. There's a big difference between the two. Loving people means caring without an agenda. As soon as we have an agenda, it's not love anymore. It's acting like you care to get someone to do what you want or what you think God wants them to do. Do less of that and people will see a lot less of you and more of Jesus. And I love how he ends the chapter. It's this simple. I want people to meet you and me and feel like they've just met everyone in heaven. I love that. He showed him kindness. You know, we need to have a more selfless motive in our acts of kindness, which begins within. And when we do that, people will see Jesus more readily and more easily. Mother Teresa put it this way, I am not sure exactly what heaven will be like, but I know that when we die and it comes time for God to judge us, he will not ask how many good things have you done in your life. Rather, he will ask how much love did you put into what you did. You know, kindness emerge, emerges out of this inward motive of love and doing small things for people. In fact, it's Mother Teresa who said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And speaking of small, that's really the second motive of, of kindness. Kindness also involves the small. The Greek word that Paul uses here for love is patient, love is kind. The word there for kind really refers to the small things you do for people. Do you remember Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, right? That parable that Jesus told. It's interesting because eventually the goats ask, wait, why are you condemning us? You know, why are we the goats? But what's interesting is if you read it, the sheep don't understand what's going on either. They ask, why are we sheep? Because they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you in prison and come and visit you? When were you naked and we clothed you? The sheep are just as confused as the goats. Which suggests something to me. I think judgment of the master in that story seems to depend on the little-known, unremembered acts of kindness that we won't remember, but that are important to the master. Small, quiet acts that come from a genuinely kind spirit. Think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about, you know, don't pray publicly in some impressive way. Do it quietly in your closet. And then he moves on to talk about what? Giving to the poor and doing it in quiet, small ways. And give, do it without a thought. Do it in a small way. And by the way, yes, we are depending on your quiet and generous giving of kindness next week. Next week is Pledge Sunday. And, and you really are pledging that as a kind act, not just to this church, but to God himself. So do keep that in mind. And I'll say, yes, rah-rah, we wound up in the black again last year. It was a little more challenging 
So we need your help with this pledge because it does help us to gauge all that we do missionally for God's kingdom for the next year. So we need your help with that. Please bring your pledge cards next Sunday. You know, Jesus <laughs> said to the disciples, freely you have received, now freely give. Well, you have received a lot of kindness from God, so in your kindness, I hope and pray that next week you will give back. Well, that's the motive of kindness, but that leads to the joy of kindness. Let's talk about that. Kindness brings joy. It creates joy within, of course. Uh, you remember the wedding at Cana. Uh, recently, I, I read uh, Greg Boyd, uh, his, his commentary on this. Some of you might remember Greg Boyd. He came here uh, this past year uh, delivering the Holly Hall lectures and delivered one of those lectures here. He did the whole series on God at War, and he talked about spiritual warfare. And His book, God at War, is just highly influential upon me. He's one of the most brilliant men I've ever known. And he gets tickled in his little commentary on uh, the wedding at Cana because he says, you know, it's so funny because this seems like such a superfluous miracle, kind of a meaningless miracle, you know, this miracle in John. It's the first uh, miracle that we know of. Why does he do it? And he talks a little bit about how he's always been tickled by how some biblical scholars get nervous about it because it doesn't seem to be such a high-impact uh, miracle why turn water into wine and he says some scholars spiritualize it this way and this is true they kind of allegorize it and say well the jars represent the soul the, the the water represents the unregenerate nature and the wine represents the nature of god and he says that is just nonsense really the bottom line of that miracle is jesus was doing a kind act for someone just doing a generous act to someone lest that person be embarrassed because he ran out of the wine. And that's what he's doing. He's demonstrating the joy of offering a kind act to someone. And Greg says, that's it. It's the same thing we do if we cover a little bit of money for someone in the grocery line because they don't quite have enough, or we offer a seat to someone uh, on a bus, or we do a kind favor to a neighbor. Uh, we give to someone you know, the right of way while we're on the road, something like that, just some small act that really does make a difference. And you know what? The kinder you are, the happier you are. Empirical data has bore that out. Study done at Stanford University in 2005. Not Samford University. This is Stanford. It's a vocational school out in uh, uh, California. And uh, not Samford. Anyway, uh, but they measured happiness. And this woman who's a specialist on this replicated this experiment a number of times and, and she had one control group, which basically she had them doing things, but was really nothing that they were doing. The other group, uh, the experimental group, they were to do five kind acts a week for people, just five random acts of kindness. Every time she replicated this experiment, guess which group always scored being much, much happier? It was the people who did the acts of kindness. In fact, to take it a step further, the people who had the most intense degree of happiness were those who performed five acts of kindness all in one day and not over the course of one week. They did all five of them in one day, and they were the happiest people in all of the experiment. You know, I, I loved hearing from, from George talking about not only his own uh, journey, but yes, talking about jobs for life. There's a lot of energy with that right now, with Ralph and with George and with David Baines and other people. And it's fun just to see the joyful spirit that they have as they're engaging in this. And you know what I'm talking about because you've probably engaged in some kind of missional activity here and the joy that comes with bringing that kind of kindness to people. I want to give you another example of joy in giving. This is a guy who lives in Detroit, and, and is, is, they call him Dan the Coffee Man. And this is a local report I'm going to show you here, and I 
pretty sure it's Mitch Album. If you ever remember Tuesdays with Maury and books like that, I think it's Mitch Album, who's also a sportscaster. I think he's the one that interviews him. But this is Dan, the coffee man. has to do with uh, when Dan started taking his dad to chemotherapy, but started a whole ministry out of it that brings him incredible joy. So let's watch this. I love coffee, I love tea. While keeping his father company during chemo treatments, Dan Dewey discovered the powerful effect of a simple cup of coffee. He gets in the big blue chair, is what I call it, and I says, do you want anything? And he goes, no, I'm fine. And I knew there was a Starbucks a mile away, and I loved the moment. I stood up, and I looked both directions, and there's all these people sitting in the blue chairs hooked up to chemo. I says, I'm going for coffee. Who wants something? And that's exactly how it started. Dan now stops by either St. Joe's MCI Clinic or the Rose Center of Beaumont every week to bring chemo patients a cup of coffee and a little conversation. The word spread real quick that I come on Thursday, and so it was always full. And the people on Wednesday would get upset. So then five <laughs> years ago, I started going on Wednesday. <laughs> he quickly became known as Dan the Coffee Man. Wouldn't have it any other way. Well, it's more than just putting a cup of coffee in front of him. I show up in shorts with a sweatshirt and, the, and a scarf on, and they look at me, now I got them, because I know what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Please don't let him be the doctor. I know, <laughs> I know that. Dan has delivered coffee to area clinics over 500 times, averaging around 90 to 100 cups of coffee per week, all free of charge, an act of kindness that has become his passion. And I've had like literally 65 full-time jobs in my life. How does being the coffee man stack up against the, the other 60-plus jobs? This is the best one yet just to see somebody smile that didn't plan on it. Ten years of giving with no end in sight, Dan Dewey is bringing caffeinated happiness Cheers. to the heart of Detroit. Isn't that great? And you can tell how much joy it brings him out of the 60-plus jobs he has had. Uh, I think Emma's kindness this morning just caused a lot of happiness, and I hope it brought her happiness too. By the way, is Dave Thomas here? That was not a plug for Starbucks. I noticed that was Starbucks coffee, so okay. Belinda's back there. Okay, no, we're not, we're not going there. Okay. Uh, but isn't that wonderful? And you saw the joy that it brings him, and, and it brings me to this, and I, <laughs> I spoke in University Chapel, uh, uh, Chapel this past Thursday, and I talked about Brian Bonds, going to talk about, about him again today. Uh, Brian, I'll never forget when he spoke in my class. I think, I, yeah, I got a picture over here when he spoke in my ministry class last year. And, and many of you know, he, he has ALS, though he's not letting it get the best of him. I think he's on his way back today from South Bend, right, where he saw his second Notre Dame game. But I love this. Brian is such a, you know, he is a go-getter and such a high-spirited person. But when he was diagnosed with ALS, I don't know how many of y'all know this, but he claimed a verse in Philippians. It's Philippians 4, 17. I think we have the, the message version of it. Not that I'm looking for handouts, but I do want you to experience the blessing that issues from generosity. Remember, just a few verses earlier in verse 13, that's where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I don't need your help, Philippians. I know I'm in a, in a deep, dark prison, but it doesn't matter. I'm okay. I know the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he goes on and says, you know, I don't need your gift, but I don't want to rob you of the joy of being generous to me. That's what he's saying here. I do not, do not want to take away from you the joy of being generous to me. And, and Brian claimed that and said, you know what? If I've got ALS and it can cause people to have joy by how they minister to me, I can deal with that, which is just so cool because, you know, Brian is ministering to us by giving us the joy of ministering to him. Isn't that awesome? That's Brian Bonds for you. But again, 
That's the difference that kindness can make. And let's just go to that. Finally, the difference kindness makes. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Just, just let this passage sink in because this is all about the difference it makes. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as what? Examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Because of his kindness for us, we are to be the examples of kindness to others. Now, that's exactly what Paul is saying. I hope you'll let that soak in. You never know how your kindness will impact someone. I'll always remember the quote from Mark Twain that I read in high school, and you may know of it. He said, kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. I've always loved that. Well, talking about Greg Boyd earlier, I thought about, you know, kindness really is a weapon in spiritual warfare. Think about that, because kindness ultimately, or maybe penultimately, along with aiming all the goodness of it to to that person you want to be kind to, it really is a weapon that you can aim at Satan. That's really true. He's the enemy. He's the opposite of kindness and love. So get after him. You know, by weaponizing kindness, we can get to him. And we woo people with the love of Jesus. And kindness makes a huge difference in family relationships. You know, sometimes the hardest people to forgive, sometimes the hardest people to be kind to are the people in your immediate or extended family i remember years ago i have a minister friend who had a tiff with his wife and in order to cool off he he said i'm going out for a drive so he went out to he went out to drive in his car to 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 calm down which that just doesn't seem like the smart thing to do but he got in his car to calm down so he got up on the highway and he came behind this uh, car that was being driven by a woman and the left rear tire was low and he thought, well, I want her to know about this. And, and, you know, so he followed her along until she got off on an exit, pulled into a Walmart parking lot. And, and she got out of the car and looked at him a little suspiciously. And he said, ma'am, I know you think I'm a stalker or something. I'm not. I'm a pastor. And I just saw that your left rear tire was getting low. And I just wanted you to, to see that so you could get a spare or, or get that tended to. And I can stay here until it gets tended to, whatever you need. And she said, oh, you're so kind, and and I'll call my husband. He's just right down the road, and he'll do this. But thank you so much. That is so kind of you to take the time and to drive so far and, and, you know, get off the exit with me and just minister to me that way. So he drove off feeling really good about himself and patting himself on the back until he thought about something. And he thought, how can I be so utterly kind to an utter stranger and be such a bozo to my wife? That's what he said. That's a good point. It's a good question. And again, kindness toward those who are closest to us is often the most difficult, but it can make the biggest difference, no doubt. And it can make a difference in the most brutal of circumstances. Uh, You may be familiar with the book Character is Destiny. John McCain writes about when this young Vietnamese guard who came along, uh, when John would be tortured sometimes and he would be, you know, kind of hung vertically and he would have his uh, hands bound and his legs bound and it was just horrible and they would keep him there for four hours that way terribly terribly painful but there was always one Vietnamese guard who would come in and loosen the ropes and he said it was just incredible because for for those four hours I had relief and he always wondered why this guy did that and, and he didn't see him for some time but then on Christmas day one day 
It, it was the one day that they allowed the POWs to walk around in the yard. And as they were walking around in the yard, McCain spotted that guard. And they made eye contact. And that guard came over and stood beside him for just a moment and with his toe made the sign of a cross and then erased it real quickly. And this is what John McCain wrote at that point in the book. For just that moment, I forgot all my hatred for my enemies and all the hatred most of them felt for me. I forgot about the jerk and the interrogators who persecuted my friends and me. I forgot about the war and the terrible things that the war does to you. I was just one Christian venerating the cross with a fellow Christian on Christmas morning. I saw him again occasionally, but he never looked at me or attempted to speak to me. We never worshiped together again, but I've never forgotten him or the kindness he showed to me as a testament to the faith that we shared. That experience helped to form my lasting appreciation for my own religious faith, and it took the faith of an enemy to reveal it to me. That faith that unites and never divides. The faith that bridges unbridgeable divisions in humanity. The faith that we are all, sinners and saints alike, children of God. I became a better man, a stronger man, a more faithful man, who at least for a moment could love his enemies. Which takes us right to Jesus, right? Jesus loved his enemies. And God loved us, even when we were in our most rebellious state against him. How rich is God in his kindness toward us? Well, all you need to do is go to Ephesians 1, 7. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. And I want to close with how Paul expands on that so beautifully in Titus chapter 3. And let this soak in. Let this soak. Last thing, if, there, if I want you to remember something, remember this passage in Titus, because this is your story. It's our story. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteousness, righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Thank you for your grace, O oh God. Thank you for what it means to us. And we pray that the kindness you showed to us will be channeled through ourselves, through the power of your Spirit, to all with whom we come into contact. Forgive us when we have overlooked people to whom we could have ministered in a quiet, kind way. We simply were too self-consumed to reach out for those few moments. Teach us to be a kinder people, O oh God a kinder church, a kinder nation, a kinder planet. But it starts with those of us who confess faith in the kindness of your Son who gave his very life as the ultimate act of kindness and generosity. We pray these things in your name. Amen.